Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves, and we had all of Spicy October, and now it's time for some meat and potatoes we're going to get into here in November. And today we have part two of our episode talking with Steve Daynard. He's a CKC judge. He is a breeder of, if I remember correctly, English Springer Spaniels. Yes, Steve? Right, right. Yep, exactly. Excellent. And we are going to talk about the art and science of dog show judging. And Steve and I got in a conversation at a dog show that we were both judging a couple months ago, and it was just so fascinating. Some of his ideas, I'm like, you've got to come and we're going to talk about this. Pure Dog Talk is proudly sponsored by Trupanion, medical insurance for the life of your pet. This year, give your buyers the gift of peace of mind with a special go-home day offer from Trupanion. This offer provides puppies with immediate coverage, so they're protected should they get into mischief in their new homes. Trupanion covers pets against unexpected accidents and illnesses with no payout limits, helping ease the financial burden when a pet gets sick or injured. Even better, Trupanion is able to pay the veterinarian directly at the time of checkout, which means less out-of-pocket for your buyers. You can get this special offer for your buyers as part of the Breeder Support Program. It's completely free to join and available for breeders in the U.S., Canada, and Australia. Getting started is quick and easy. Just follow the link on my partner page at puredogtalk.com to get started. So, Steve, I think that it just is really interesting to me as a concept because when I talk to exhibitors on the podcast or when I interact with folks, written critiques or even any critique, any kind of comment, why? And I am happy to tell you why. You know, you may not agree with me, but I'll tell you what I thought. 100%. At least I know where you're coming from. And at least I know I may not share that perspective or that opinion, but I see her point. But there was an actual reason for what I did. It wasn't just because I looked up and Joe Blow was on the end of the leash. 100%. And the hesitation that I have heard from amongst the higher ups in the organization is there is some concern that too many judges would not be able to do that. That's a whole separate issue. That's a problem. (laughs) And I think it's that issue that is a really strong foundation for why exhibitors feel as if judges are political, because they don't know their stuff. (laughs) Their stuff. We've said worse things. It's okay. Is that a fair comment? I think it is a fair comment. And unfortunately, I think that both the organization and the exhibitors discount the judges. Because when I go and talk to the judges that I'm on a panel with, for example, and you and I talk about whatever, the Pomeranian, and you can tell me why you thought it was fabulous. And I can say, okay, I see this. What about this thing on, you know, and we can discuss that. Sure. At least in the American Kennel Club system, I think it's a little less stringent in CKC, but tell me if I'm wrong. There is such an unbelievable prohibition on any contact between judges and exhibitors. And I understand why, and I get it, I get it, I get it. But I think 
for every action, there was an equal and opposite reaction. And I think that this is an area that it is causing more harm than good to have that much separation. So we know that there is, you know, every rule and regulation that came in probably had a foundation, something doing something wrong. Judges need to keep their interactions in the ring, you know, not be too conversational in nature, et cetera, et cetera. Well, then all of a sudden you're going to get a whole population of judges who take us to the nth degree, and they're even afraid to have any type of communication, you know, apart from instructions to the exhibitor, right? So I think there's a fine line between asking, hey, Laura, good to see you, haven't seen and having this full-on getting caught up in the ring, but also having, you know, an opportunity to be able to share meaningful dialogue. Mm -hmm. And I think that we can do that. I think that maybe we're just not trained really well to do that. So maybe we need to have a discussion about what does that look like. And I get it. Writing written critiques or an oral critique or whatever can be scary for many people. People don't like change. And whether it's not because you don't have the goods or you don't know whatever, okay, really, maybe that's what the fear is based in. But I think culturally, you just hit the nail on the head. It's not encouraged to have that dialogue, that communication, that interaction. And what it does, it creates silos within our sport. And this is not what we need. We need to be able to have a mechanism in place so that it's okay to have a conversation. And that conversation doesn't need to be precipiced by the fact that I'm pissed off because Lord and put me up and I'm going to take a run at her after judging. And I got the rep coming with me because she crossed a line. Why is there that militant mindset and it's really whether the rapper, I mean, I'm not saying that's ever going to happen. I'm just saying you get the mentality. Okay? Oh, yeah. No, but it does happen. Happens, it hasn't happened to me yet, but that doesn't say it won't. <laughs> well, and it's interesting because that shaming thing that we talked about earlier, I end up seeing a rep coming on and saying, well, did you go talk to the rep? And I thought, oh, my God. So here's the rep saying that they felt as if this were, was a rep-worthy engagement conversation. And I thought, oh, my God, we jumped to that right away. No wonder people are afraid. No wonder people are trying to just kind of maintain whatever that status quo is to keep their nose clean. What it does is it doesn't encourage originality. It doesn't encourage people stepping out there and having an opinion because maybe they're afraid they're going to get crap for it. Well, and every time you find yourself in the ring, I can be sure that it has happened to you. It has certainly happened to me in my much briefer number of years doing this. You're in the ring. You see the one that's you know, the chosen one, like, you know, you're supposed to put this one up sure. and you look at the dog and you're like, no, no, this one's better. I, I don't get it. I, I'm, I'm not buying this it. This one's you're, better. You're... And so you have to have in your head, I'm going to put up this one that I believe is better for X, Y, and Z reason. And this is why, you know, a written critique foundation, I think, really, this could help solve that problem. So, for example, okay, Canadian judge, you know, we get there too quickly, all that crap looks like. Go down, and now all of a sudden, we're have to judge 85 golden retrievers. And we just don't get that in this country. And that aside, Laura, I saw that, that aside, okay, let's just, I'm talking the numbers. And now all of a sudden, you're floundering. 
Mm-hmm. Or you make it through, you're happy with what you're doing, and all of a sudden the rep's there because someone's you know chirping at them, et cetera, et cetera. Or maybe as part of the visiting judge evaluation form, that's a breed that comes forward. And maybe there's like, hey, I saw your watches do this class here. Walk me through your thought process on why you selected what you selected. Paraphrasing here. Having a written critique foundation in your toolkit as the basis for how you're trained to evaluate dogs creates a much easier conversation when that's the way you're programming how you're picking your winners. Well, and I think part of having it as a background for me has made it easier when I'm chatting with the reps during a right. breed observation on my right. breeds. I can tell you why I did X, Y, and Z right. based on the standard because... It's to whatever the coat's wrong, the head's wrong, yeah, yeah, you, can't yeah. walk, you know, whatever it yeah. is. And that background, you know, if the head is supposed to be a blunt wedge and it looks like a weasel, we have a problem. <laughs> well, and I also think, though, too, that if you're handing a written critique to your class entries, you know, when they leave, what's going to happen? And I saw that this IABCA shows now all of a sudden at ringside the posse, all their friends, they're reading that critique while you're on to the next class. And I think that the fear there is like, because when I saw it happen, I thought, oh my God, I hope I was really eloquent on that written critique because they're judging me. Try not to say weasel. Like they're judging me, right? You know what I mean? So I think I can see why people would be afraid of that. Mm -hmm. Until you get really good at it and you have the conviction to be able to say, this is my process, et cetera, et cetera. I think it can be a little bit of an overwhelming concept but the only way we rip that band-aid off is by diving in and starting to practice it exactly yeah Yeah. this was cool so i I think there's other things that we can do stuff i want to talk a little bit and this is again it's a segue from this to the next yes yes which is the role of judges in promoting responsible dog breeding and ownership and how we bring some of these stakeholders this is all this package right yeah this is a huge package I'm more than just a judge. I mean, I know the National Club is the custodian of the breed standard and all that stuff, okay? But really, you know, as far as we're concerned, it's our expectation that we're maintaining and we're helping guard that gate. If we start to be able to put up dogs that aren't aligning with the written standard and recognizing those characteristic or dogs that are over-trimmed or, you know, have an ease that are, that are straight scissored or whatever that looks like, we're really not only doing the breed of the service, we're doing the sport of the service. Because once people start to see those dogs being awarded, new exhibitors who don't maybe have a very strong, long foundation in dogs in general or that breed, are, and justifiably so, are going to think it's okay to do that. So there's a big responsibility there. So I think we're also educators. We need to be able to get out there and also to act as a role model for, you know, what it is that judges who are judging you this particular breed need to be doing and putting up the right dog. So I think of that. And this really talks about a quality control component. That's our job as judges to make sure the quality control and the decision-making process aligns with the product, the breed standard, and the dog you're evaluating against it. And I think, too, that, you know, we need to be above reproach when it comes to, we talked about earlier, to ethics. Ethically, again, the litmus test here is that if you have to question yourself, is there a rule of reg against that? You probably already have your answer. You should not be doing it. Like If you had to question it, just don't go there. You're going to create a sense of impropriety, an unfair advantage. And if you think that people don't know about it, you're delusional. Okay. You're just not in touch with reality because this is a small community and I don't care what country you live in. People know stuff. 
It's just the way that it goes. And I think also, too, the judges need to also be an advocate for the judging process. It really broke my heart when I saw that exhibitor who was a judge, because she says right in her post, I'm a judge. And when I saw that person who was an exhibitor on this particular day, who's also a judge, public shaming the interaction of that judge on the day of, I thought, oh my God, you're not advocating for judging at all. You're wanting to throw somebody over a bus. Yeah. You want your community to come forward and say to you, oh my God, you were in the right. And what was interesting to me though, is I also noticed that for all those judges that said, please DM me privately, this individual responded and said, DM sent. And I looked at that stream and I thought, oh my, what are we doing here? Can't we just have a civil conversation societal thing too. I mean, like society, we could do a whole hour on the erosion of civil society and what is appropriate and what isn't appropriate and why anyone thinks X, Y, or Z is appropriate and social media's role in that destruction and a few other things. So, I mean, that's a whole other by itself and it's probably a different podcast. (laughs) Well, and I I also think you hit the nail on the head. I, I really think though, It's my opinion that if you keep a conversation alive and when it's a negative conversation, you're really enabling that individual and you're justifying their decision to put that out there. Like really the personal, I think she was looking for some sort of support or whatever. And then when she got all of this, and then I question, was your motivation just to trash this judge? Because if that's what it was, you got it done. When I look at the number of comments that poo-pooed and trashed this Canadian judge, I didn't say who the names, I don't even know who the players are, okay? It's really irrelevant. But I looked at I thought, oh my God, this is not cool. What are we doing as a community when this type of, and again, I'm sure the person's a lovely person. I'm sure she didn't think, I mean, I wanted to think of my heart that this wasn't meant to be like that. But the reality was, is it happened. And at what point do we think that's appropriate? And okay, I think never. I think never. never. Like whatever just happened, Laura, to the point that just, you know what? I'm not going to show that judge again. I'm done. They don't don't like my dogs. I'm not going to show them anymore. I guess part of it, Steve, is you and I come from an era in dogs. We were involved in dogs before there was such a thing as social media or even the internet, dude, because we're old, right? right? Yeah, we're just word of mouth. (laughs) Who's picking up the phone? It costs money to make a long distance phone call. A hundred percent. So you didn't even call and bitch at your mentor because that costs money. Who's going to do ah, that? Mentor. Wait a minute. Mentor. That's mentor, an interesting concept. concept. Yeah. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. All right, crew. I hear from folks pretty much daily asking for a specific topic or for a series of podcasts on a topic. So ask and you shall receive. <laughs> I've done all the hard work. I've sorted, searched, and compiled eight different albums from the archives on our most popular topics. And when I say there's a podcast for that, I ain't just a woofin. Getting yours today is super simple. Just jump on puredogtalk.com backslash store and click the PDT albums image. 
And when you're in there, you're going to find a collection of veterinary voices. You're going to find a collection for breeding and whelping hands-on. You'll find Pure Dog Talk University on dog breeding. Love the breeds. Up your game. Owner handlers, the interviews, events and sports. There is so much there. And once you're in those links, you'll be able to read the details of the topic. For a special introductory price of a buck ninety-nine, you get a link to dozens, up to more than a hundred episodes on these specific topics. And while you're there, if you or a friend or family member are just getting started, even just starting a search for your first well-bred purebred dog, you can also check out Auntie Laura's Beginner's Guide to Show Dogs at puredogtalk.com backslash book to get the foundational Pure Dog Talk episodes with bonus tracks. So hop on it, y'all. These special prices will not last. So, 100% my opinion, but I think in the day when you had to make like a pay phone call, like put a quarter in a machine to call somebody who cared, that took a lot more effort and thought and complicated involvement than just spitting something at your phone. A paragraph. Yeah, exactly. Right? And so I think that's a big part of it. And I recognize the benefits of social media. We're much more global. You and I wouldn't be having this conversation. I think it's fantastic. I've had conversations with a lot of people. You know, like, it's important. For sure. But I think that any time someone says something negative and you add to it, you're adding fuel to the fire. It's oxygen and ignoring it makes it go away. And then, you know, when we talk about stakeholders, I mean, you know, there are a ton of stakeholders in, you know, the judging process. It's not just judges. It's like exhibitors, it's handlers, it's superintendents, it's kennel clubs, all breed and the American Kennel Club, see Canadian Kennel Club. Okay. Like there's so many people involved in this that are stakeholders in the process. I think we need some sort of a mechanism. I don't have an answer for this, but wouldn't it be nice if there was a more open dialogue process? Maybe you touched on the nail on the head, some sort of a mentor program. And again, these take time, but you know, we love what we do. Like we're choosing to be in this sport and this community. And I know there are a lot of other people who share this opinion. I can't believe that we can't start some form of an open dialogue that's not so negatively based. I hear a lot of people say, well, you know, back in the day, back in the 70s, 80s, whatever, you know, but the reality is, is that gone are the days of big breeding kennels where the Rockefellers had, you know, an 88. That's done. Our sport has evolved into a hobby of, of hobbyists. You know, we just want to get a championship on Muffy. And what message are we sending, you know, to people that we want to engage into our fold if we're not having open dialogue and making them feel welcome? And judges have a responsibility for that as well. It breaks my heart when I read or hear feedback around, well, you know what, I'm going to go to Ibeka for shows because I wasn't made felt welcome at an AKC show. Why does that happen? Like, can't we just get but over ourselves? And can't judges, we? Judges, exhibitors, readers, oh, everyone, everyone, hundred percent for sure. I don't get it. I make an absolute point, and I receive feedback that I'm generally successful on this, of mm-hmm. enjoying what I'm doing. 
if I wasn't enjoying judging the dog show, trust me, I would be not having to take a second mortgage on my house to pay my travel right. bills. Right, for so, sure. You know, we talked about written critiques at the breed level. And, you know, really, when you think about it, okay, if I'm a business, everything revolves around my Google review, mm-hmm. my Yelp review, if I'm a restaurant, et cetera, et cetera. You know, what do you think about the cost of maybe some form of a structured feedback loop for judges from exhibitors? What I want to say rating system, and again, when it comes to, for example, writing critiques of judges or dogs were judging, you need some sort of a format. You need something to be able to drill down into the critical elements. You know, I'm just thinking, you know, like, is there something like that that may help as far as a feedback loop is concerned for judges to learn? I'm not talking about this being something that's out there on media where Laura's got 85 five-star reviews as a judge. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about how can Laura, as a judge, is there a process, et cetera, et cetera, that Laura could go through to be able to elicit some feedback on her ability to judge at the national or whatever, apart from just hearing like a shitty social media post right. about her. What the dog show judges about, right? report cards. So that's where yeah, I yeah, get. I'm yeah. like, no, we already have them and I hate them. And we have the rep system, you know, the AKC rep that observes us mm-hmm. when we're permit judges down here. I can't go to a dog show and judge dogs without a rep watching me watching you right right (laughs) and so i think there's some of that if there was a way to have constructive feedback but the problem is the dog show judges report card type sites were intended to be constructive feedback and generally are nothing but sour grapes there's more negativity than uh yeah for sure yeah well i'm just wondering like maybe that needs to be reworked and also too you know, the negative comments, again, are allowed to exist, okay? And I think that there is a place for that. Don't get me wrong. As long as it's constructive, as long as it's not sour grapes, what I hear a lot of is, is that, you know, again, like we said, there's this perception out there that, oh, it was political, but really is the individual that is putting that out there really taking stock of all the factors that came up to the decision making. I don't think many times that does happen. I think they just were looking for a reason why they didn't win. And it's not based on evaluating what's at the end of their leash. Right. And I think, yeah. again, same exact thing, going back to judging my national, having just lived through all of this as yeah. a judge, and someone else making a comment, someone that I've known for a very long time, someone who yeah. should frankly know better, making the comment mm-hmm. that politics sneaks in. I'm like, seriously. What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, what are you, <laughs> you talking know, about? Did you, you know? come and ask me what my priorities were? Did you ask me why I made the decisions that I made? I mean, this is to the point you were making earlier. Did anybody ask me? No, they just assumed. And let's talk about what happens when we assume. Right. Well, I think, though, you know, that like in business, there are anonymous 360 base feedback loops that are available. So I don't think that potentially something needs to go on social media where Steve steps up and says, I showed to Laura this day. She was terrible. My puppy peed itself, whatever, whatever that looks like, whatever that looks like. But why can there not be some form of anonymous feedback loop that looks at what did Laura do really well, in your opinion? Mm-hmm. What did Laura need improvement on? Okay, so I think okay, it could okay. be structured. So here's the technology thing. Right. Survey Monkey. Yeah, can be anonymous. After yeah. every dog show, the local kennel club 
sends out a survey monkey to every exhibitor and says, this is your anonymous opportunity. Rate your judge from, you know, technology enables you to track the individual exhibitor to the individual judge. And so give us a score of one through 10 on Steve Danard's judging in Pomeranians and every Pomeranian exhibitor gets that email and it's ring procedure and it's standard knowledge. Free knowledge and, and blah, 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 whatever. There's your technology. Well, I, you, you know what? I think we should start a new business. I think it should be called. And what we should do is we should sell judging profiles mm-hmm. and you can have an anonymous feedback loop back into Laura Reeves judging profile. That's it can kind of be broken down by breed, and then the people can go in and take a look. And again, it's all anonymous, but it's structured in a way, you know, like for example, on the visitor judges reports, the reps, I mean, the reps are fantastic out there. I've had a really good experience with them. They're a wealth of resource for me coming down and not being down there very often. They've been a fantastic resource. What I really like about the one pager is that there's a comment around what was the overall quality of the exhibits? Yes. Was it excellent? Was it, you know, there's a, so there's a, there, so there, yeah. Okay. So if I were an exhibitor and I was doing a, a judge review of lore anonymously, and what if it was the same way? And now Steve is meant to really kind of do some soul searching here to say, well, on this day in Pomeranians, the quality was average. Mm-hmm. It's adding some perspective to what happened on the day. We still have a problem with it being somewhat sour grapes based, even if it's anonymous. And it's mandatory. So these fields, you need to populate. You can't bypass them. You can't put a crappy ass comment against, you know, a positive feedback group. There must be some positivity to the process. This isn't just a gripe session. It could also be qualified to say, say, is this a positive or a negative review or a neutral review? Let's rate this up front. Can we ask how many years the exhibitor has been involved in their breed? Well, I think there's all kinds of stuff that you could get around as far as profile is concerned. But again, I think what that does is, does that support the fact that people potentially, there may be a perception of that people who are newer to the sport just don't have the foundation in dogs. And what it does is you're putting that person now in this silo. Again, I don't know the answer rhetorically. I'm just thinking out loud, but you're right. There must be a way to be able to add perspective around this opinion. I think about, you know, I've interviewed a million judges here on the podcast. It's not a million. It's like a hundred and some odd. So, but my and this has been the best one so far, right, Laura? hundred <laughs> percent. Although to be fair, <laughs> one is a fellow Canadian. It's Jim Reynolds. I, I love it. I love his interview. Anyway. I love it. My point is if we think back to the day that predates even you and I in the sport, when the a Lynn Brumby or something like that is reaching out into the hordes and saying, okay, you, I'm going to bring you in to be a dog show judge. Someone who had some vision and could identify a judge that had an eye for a dog, because you and I both know people get it or they don't get it. And there's lots of good test takers. You have an eye for a dog. So that's one thing. That led to the too much of the old boys network. Okay, so now we're going right. to take it all the way down here. Way to the other side, yeah. To the super egalitarian, everybody's equal, that's also not true. Some people just shouldn't be judges. Like, that's yes. the bottom line. Yeah, yeah. also true. 
So, so you know, there's got to be something in there that's in the middle. Well, you know, I think, you know, to your point where I can be really book smart. I can, you know, tell you like 19 standards verbatim off the top of my, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But can I apply it? Can I find the right one at the end of the day? There are other countries out there whose judging systems, they're not perfect, but Australian National Kennel Council has their whole judging application process. Mm-hmm. You, well, part of it, I, again, I'm paraphrasing here, but part of this is, is that you have to have completed 50 written critiques of dogs in a breed you're applying for, and you have them as evidence. It's part of your portfolio your application portfolio. You also need to be able to go through a hands-on evaluation with three seasoned exhibitors, you know, I think they're judges mostly, who write a written report over your ability Mm -hmm. to find the good one. And what they do is, is they'll have five dogs in the breed and you need to place them one through four and substantiate, you know, orally to the panel. And if you pass, then you get your approval and you move on. So, and again, I'm not saying that that's the right, but what I like about that is it's supporting the application component. So now if I'm a judge and I am now on permit and I go forward and I'm being evaluated by, you know, a rep or whoever the the governing body is, and I manage to be able to regurgitate the written standard to a level with which I can sell my decision-making process, it might not still always be the fact that I got the right ones. So I really do like the hands-on process. And I think that maybe a written evaluation is a combination of both of those things. It real a critique. It really is, here's what the textbook says, and here's my opinion on how I applied the interpretation of that. Did I get it right? Did I get it wrong? Right. We still run into issues like, I'll just take my breed, use it as an example. Say that I've got three other breeder judges evaluating my placements and each one of them thinks I did it wrong for a different reason that is all about their issue. So what that talks to is, is that what must be in place is the three evaluators must be trained on being an evaluator. And there must be a fully transparent process for the evaluators to go through so that when Laura finds out that A, B, and C are her evaluators, she doesn't say immediately, I'm not passing that because two of those breeders don't like me. I know 100% for sure they don't like me. I'm not passing that. So there needs to be transparency in the process so that the potential of that happening is really low. I think that's because the evaluation reports would now be part of the approval process of Laura moving forward and must be defensible and just can't be based on the fact, well, I didn't like what she was wearing that day. Or I you, could you know be I mean? on this one's weasel face despite all this other, right? I mean, there's just, yeah, there's, yeah. it is such a, and I think as we kind of wrap this up, I think listeners, what you're hearing is two really experienced dog people talking about how challenging it is oh yeah to come up with a great system to identify great judges and so i think that's what i want the listeners to hear yeah yeah yeah. none of this is easy i think you hit the nail on the head clearly every system is broken to a degree there are lots of great things about the current system don't get me wrong 100 percent for sure But those things that we're trying to improve really should be trying to engage the fold. They should try to be able to bring people back. We shouldn't have people leaving because they don't have any faith in the judging process. 
we need to be able to have a system in place that is engaging them and opening dialogue, et cetera, et cetera. That I think would be ideal. And I think, you know, earlier we talked about, I don't think it needs to be a complete revamp or a rework of a system. Why not integrate some pieces and nuggets and do a trial in a geographic area at a particular show on a smaller scale, whatever that looks like to test to see if it has teeth. Could it be rolled out on a larger scale because we're getting the benefit that we want? Again, that's to be determined. But I think the big takeaway here is, is that we should always be striving towards some form of a collaborative approach on improving the system because this is a live and organic process. You're never going to get it 100% right. Agreed. It's always changing. It's always changing. My only other thing that just like literally popped into my brain, and I know we're supposed to be closing down, but it just yes. popped in my brain because I think it's super useful. Hi, dog podcast. <laughs> so the super useful concept is golden retrievers, and I think maybe Labradors have like a, just a confirmation evaluation. There's a special name for it that's gone right out of my head. And it's three breeders evaluate a dog and say, you know, do, 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 do that there is a template for this concept that, you know, those dogs aren't necessarily show champions. And there's plenty of people who don't need to make their dog a show champion, but that would like to hear this confirmation evaluation. Because they still might want to breed them, right? Right. Exactly. And so incorporating that, that's a parent club thing that the parent mm -hmm. club does for the Golden Retriever Club of America. And like I said, I think the Labrador Club. And so there are existing formats and structures that would be, wouldn't that be a really super great structure to give to the permit judges so that when I'm permit and have an ease, I can stand with Adam King or something like that and write, the, you know, that's sort yeah. of a concept. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I also, too, it was interesting. We talked about the permit judging process and what a great learning opportunity. And I'm just going to put this out there. And we talked about earlier, we forgot more than what we thought we ever knew. There are a lot of seasoned judges that maybe potentially need to go through this process as well, because like I say, we forgot a lot of stuff, you know? Yeah. So I think starting with permit judges and learning aspiring judges is a great start. I do think that it should be evolved into people who have been judging for a while. I would love to be a part of that process. I'd sign up for it in a heartbeat because I know that it would improve what I'm doing, you know, and to each their own, you know? Absolutely. But as you and I look around and we see our sport eroding, I had a young woman who's one of my kids. I call them my kids. None of them are actually my mm -hmm. children. Messaged me not long ago, just the other day and say, okay, so this is what I'm doing. And I want to be a professional handler and this is what I'm doing to accomplish it. I need your input on what I should do and do, 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 do. And I'm like, what you should do is prepare for the fact that this sport won't be here in 20 years. Right. Right. And what's your plan B? And that's, and that's really great. <laughs> Since I started this podcast, my mission has been to change that trajectory. And mm -hmm. uh, I'm not able to do that apparently single-handedly. Who knew? <laughs> well, it takes a community, you know, but it does take someone to champion it. And if you could, not you, but rhetorically, if we, universally, we could get people to share this vision and collaborate on ways to be able to improve even a small portion of it, I think that, that's a win. And I think it starts with dialogue. I think it starts with people being aware, number one, that there is a problem. I think that's pretty given. 
and how can we change that for the better? And how can we also work on changing perceptions? Let people know this isn't just something that we do because we've got nothing better to do. There's a reason for that. Well, Steve, thank you so much. <laughs> I have yeah, my fabulously enjoyed picking your brain. Awesome. And you never know, it could happen again in the future. So just... Sounds great. Peace, yo. Take care. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our dog show superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk.